I'm not saying that God's going to answer your prayers exactly as you've detailed them out, but I am saying that God is a God of redemption. Sometimes in lost relationships, he restores relationship that is truly in him. Even when all hope is lost, God is still moving. Hey everyone, welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I'm so excited for the series that we're in entitled Unveiled. We are taking a cue from 2 Corinthians 3 that talks about how we have found freedom in Christ to contemplate God's glory with an unveiled face. Like that which was obscuring our understanding of God is gone in Christ, and now we can actually engage with the faith and belief to know that God is bringing us to deeper and deeper places of understanding, of worship, of love for Him, of of really being able to um, get a grasp on what this world is all about, what we're doing here. Even in the hard times, even in the confusing times, we as believers have an anchor that goes far beyond our circumstances. That anchor goes deep into the soil of God's love in a way that completely uh, grounds us and allows us to stay firm even in the storms of life. Doesn't that sound so good? Doesn't that sound like what you need and want in your life? Then come with me for the next few minutes as we begin this series. We're looking through the Old Testament and kind of transforming our understanding of, okay, what was written then, what it meant then, and then how we interpret that interpret it in light of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start way back at the beginning in Genesis today. We're going to look at the story of Adam and what it tells us about the work of Christ and even gives us a clue that God truly had a plan from the very beginning. And he had a plan of redemption that was at work from the very beginning. And he has left us clues of the Messiah who would come from the very beginning. So if you did your homework, if you're joining me and you listened to last week, I encouraged you to read the first three chapters of Genesis. We're not going to read through all of them, but I will skim a few places that will be important for our Bible study today. But we're going to really be looking at just a short passage in uh, Genesis 3. This is kind of a bad news passage, to be honest with you. (laughs) But I love the quote. I believe it's by Thomas Watson, until sin is bitter, grace can't be sweet. And there is a place to say, "Woo!" like, I want to understand the bad news too, because the bad news helps us understand the good news. And we're kind of looking at that bad news today. So we're going to look at the Lord um, who speaks over Adam and Eve and the serpent. Those are our three characters in this passage. Um, He speaks over them the reality of what has happened when Adam and Eve actually turn their own way just a moment before, and they disregard God's law, they disregard God's direction, and they make a choice independent of His, and they live out disobedience, and sin enters into the story. And right after that happens, we're going to look at God's response. So we're going to start in verse 14, and we'll stop in verse 19. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." So, and then we go ahead, and I'm actually going to read verse 21, that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them, because that's actually an important little clue for what was to come as well. Okay, so what's going on here? Let's back up. Let's back way up, actually, and make sure we don't miss something. I think a lot of people sometimes start their story in Genesis 3 as if Genesis 1 and 2 don't exist. And I want to make sure we start in Genesis 1 and 2, because what we have is the Spirit of God hovering over over this creation and making a beautiful world, a beautiful, abundant world, and placing Adam and Eve in that beautiful, abundant world with work to do. Like, they weren't just laying around naked eating fruit. Like, that's kind of the way it's, if you haven't really read it yourself or really processed it, it kind of feels that way. Like, okay, they're just like on an endless vacation, right? In paradise, that's what this is. No, actually, God created, and then he called the man and woman that he made in his image. He called the man and woman woman in his image to also create. He he says he gives them the mandate that together they will work side by side to rule and subdue the world, meaning they will take what is wild and bring order to this wild world that God has given them. It's like this this massive calling on their life. And we know from these earlier passages God called all of this good. God created and rested and called it good. God created man and woman only, just humanity in his image. This is the first place that we see the Trinity, actually. If you've ever wondered, like, what's going on with God, Father, Spirit, Jesus? Like, where do we even find that idea of the Trinity? The first place that we find it is when when God says, uh, let us make man in our image. That the very first time that we hear this being spoken of, God actually says, let us make man in our image. So we get this idea of a collective right away in this early sort of moment in scripture. And that's the first place that we start to see that that Trinitarian idea, the idea that God is three in one, he's three persons in one, and that that idea has been there since the very beginning. That's not a new idea that was that came about when Jesus came to earth. It was there beforehand. If you want to see that verse for yourself, it's in Genesis 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So the idea is before sin, before problems, before any of that, the first thing that was, was that man, God made man and woman in his image, in his likeness. He pr- imprinted on them and it was good. It was good at first. Sometimes some of us have grown up in traditions where we believe that that everything about us is bad. But in reality, no, everything about us is broken. But the DNA, the spiritual DNA that God placed in you in the original form was good. 
It was good and it was purposeful. It wasn't just good and like, let's chill. It was good and purposeful that God has made us in his image to not only live and reflect his glory, but to work and reflect his glory in the way that we engage the world. All of that happened before Genesis 3. So that's an important, to me, that's where the story starts. The story of the good news starts with good. And then we get to chapter three. And in chapter three, we see this engagement where as you, if you listen to the, the series on Matthew four, we talked a lot about what does the Bible say about the enemy, that he masquerades as an angel of light, that he, that he's the father of lies, that everything he says is a lie. And we see this play out in Genesis three when he twists God's words and he speaks to Eve and said, did God really say? And he draws her in by tempting her to doubt, and he, he also draws her in by te- by doubting uh, God's intentions, right? Why would God want to keep you from something? Why wouldn't God want you to experience this, right? So he's using truth, he's twisting truth, and Eve, in a moment, sort of evaluates what's being said to her and makes a decision apart from God, and sin enters in. Adam makes the same decision, sin enters in. And now we're seeing the results of that sin when God is sort of now saying what's going to happen now, now that this has happened, now that this irreversible change has happened, where both Adam and Eve ate from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Their eyes are now open to the cosmic reality that there is more than just good in the world. And now they've been exposed to Satan, this father of lies, the serpent, who's represented as the serpent here. And now God is going to say, hey, this is what's going to change now. Because now you're going to be, you you can't live forever in this state. Now that you're in the state that you're in, you can't live forever in this state. You see, um, so many of us can read this passage and we believe that this is like a God of wrath and a God of anger. But in reality, what God is doing here is he's protecting his humanity from a life of immortality in the current state that they're now in. Like you don't want to live in that eternal state because what has entered in is darkness. And because of that darkness, they needed to now be separated from God in the way that they had known him before. So a couple of things that have happened right before this is after that sin entered in, Adam and Eve both experienced shame. You see, sin and shame are closely linked. When we begin to live out of brokenness, when we live in brokenness, we experience shame. Shame says that's not just a bad act that you did. Shame actually says you are a bad person. And that is the ultimate twist of the knife when it comes to the work of the enemy. The work of the enemy is to make sure that when we experience sin, he twists the knife to make sure we know that we're actually a bad person person. So why even try? And that's kind of what draws us away from the goodness and the grace of God. So we see that Adam and Eve, when they experience sin, also experience shame. They realize that they're naked and they hide from God. And isn't this so familiar that we realize that we're broken and we actually kind of want to get away from goodness? We don't go toward goodness. And here we find ourselves in the story of Adam and Eve and kind of our experience with humanity. So all of that happens, and now God's going to come to them and say, okay, here's what's going to happen now. And he addresses all three characters in the story, correct? He addresses the serpent. He addresses Eve. He addresses Adam. 
Um, I'm going to focus on what he says to the serpent, but here's just just because I don't want to leave you hanging with the rest of it. Obviously, read your study notes. The study notes here are extensive. So if you have a lot of questions about this passage, read the study notes. Make sure that you take time to understand it. I know that many of us might feel a little bit tweaky here, like depending on what tradition you grew up in in church. You may have heard like a lot of different things around this. You may feel a little bit like, ooh, I don't want to like talk about the enemy or focus on the enemy, but hopefully we broke that a little bit in the last series when I just reminded you like the enemy is not like equal to God. He doesn't have that kind of power. So we don't need to be scared. We shouldn't be flippant about it, but we don't need to be scared. Like God has called us to be people who are confident. Remember Second Corinthians 3, we are called to be bold. And so when we read this passage, just quickly on Adam and Eve, I want you to see that what God uh, says to them is really just the the ramifications of sin. Hey, if you're going to leave the garden, you're going to leave this space, and there's going to now be animosity between you. So with Eve, he says, your desire is going to be for your husband, and he's going to rule over you. Look at the relationships between men and women. Look at what happens with the genders. In in reality, women are um as a whole, not everyone, there's always an exception to the rule, but as a whole, women are more physically inferior to men when it comes to strength. Women are more likely to be uh, used, abused, violated, uh, you know, oppressed, whatever, um, across the whole, across the globe. And there is this reality that that when sin entered in, um, what was meant to be a side-by-side working together to bring the flourishing of the earth now turns to a head-to-head battle battle where a woman will desire a man's protection, will desire a man, and he's going to rule over you. It's not going to be a good relationship in sin. There's going to be animosity between the genders. You see, what Satan wants to do is divide. His work is to divide. So anything he can divide us by, he will divide by race. He will divide by power. He will divide by class. He will divide by gender. There is so much division. He'll divide the church. (laughs) He will divide by denomination. So there is so much division that is a ramification of sin. And so when God is saying, hey, Adam, you know, you're going to toil. Work is going to be hard now. Work is going to be hard. And it's not that work uh, wasn't probably hard before, but it's a different kind of hard, you know? And we've experienced this, whether you're a man or a woman, when you have worked hard, when you feel frustrated at work, when you just feel like you cannot get a grip, you cannot get it going, you feel anxiety and pressure around who you are and what you need to produce, we see the ramifications of sin in our life. It's not that God is like sort of declaring what is just going to be true now in this world as sin has entered in, right? So that's kind of the bad news. But what I want you to find in this is that it rings true. It just, it rings true. So if there's that part of you that's like, is this true? Is this like a myth? Like, what is the story? Is this really? I mean, come on. You know, there's always that part of us that's like, is this really the origins? But I'm like, does this ring true to you? Does this ring true to what you see in human beings? Well, here we are reading this ancient text around forever, talking about this like reality of humanity. I'm like, it's just true. So now let's take a minute and look at what God really says to the serpent. This is the part I want us to focus in on. Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, so we probably need to know what that word means. (laughs) 
Not a word we use all the time, right? Do you guys want me to look it up? I mean, the word enmity sort of means divisiveness, violence, um, discord between two people, right? It's a state of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. And he says, I'm going to put that between you and humans. So now we see the cosmic battle of good and evil of, of the with humans sort of in the middle, the cosmic battle kind of displayed here as God says, hey, now, hey, you're going to be, there's going to be destruction and divisiveness between you and humans. And that is what we see in the work of the enemy, right? But here is what I want us to focus on. But he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay? Now, if you don't stop for a minute, you'll be like, well, yeah, that's what you do to snakes. (laughs) That's what you do to snakes, right? Snakes crawl on the ground. Snakes strike. They're likely to hit your heel, uh, especially if you're walking, right? And what we do to kill snakes is we crush their head. That's what you have to do to kill a snake. You crush the head of the snake. That's what kills the snake. But let's slow down for a minute and be like, hmm, let's be curious. Let's be curious about this phrase and about what this means for us in light of what we know from 2 Corinthians 3. Like everything is being unveiled. This reality that was placed to us about the the creation and the fall is now going to be redeemed in Jesus. So when we read that passage and we say, okay, what's the backstory here? And you go a little bit deeper into your study notes, you're going to find that actually it says in our study notes that the offspring of the woman would eventually crush the serpent's head, a promise fulfilled in Christ's victory over Satan, a victory in which all believers will share. Okay. So what we actually are hearing here is a little clue about the redemption that is to come. Even as early as Genesis, God is already leaving us clues about the redemption that will come, that even right in this moment of the fall, when Adam and Eve did not obey God, when they did not obey the terms of the first covenant, meaning God said, here, you're going to live in this garden. The only rule is not to eat from this one tree. You can eat from all the other trees. So that was the promise that was made. I will give you this beautiful place to live and work in. I will give you one another. I will give you everything you need. You only need to do one thing. So they had a promise. It was a conditional covenant between God and his people. And the only condition was that you don't eat from this tree. They ate from the tree. The the condition was broken. The covenant was broken. Because God is a God of justice, he did not destroy them as he could have for breaking the covenant, but he gives this redemptive clue about what is to come. He reveals that a new covenant is coming, this covenant of grace that will be promised in this future person, this future savior who will be born of a woman who will crush the serpent's head. It's kind of like, hey, hey, serpent, you're going to get the run of the place here for a little bit. But I'm telling you right now, you're, there's going to be enmity. You're going to be, there's going to be violence between you and humanity, but your head will be crushed. You will strike the heel. So we do get a little clue that there is going to be a wounding. There is going to be a cost to this, to the serpent getting his head crushed. But overall, 
what's going to happen is he's going to, there's going to be victory. We're going to be victorious over Satan represented by the serpent in this passage. Now, I know I've said a lot of things, but I just want you to hear that one thing that when we think about what's the backstory, we're kind of going forward and then back. We're going forward to Second Corinthians 3 that tells us that in Christ, we can now understand everything. And now we're going all the way back to Genesis. We're reading the story of creation and fall, what happened. And we're seeing already that God has left us not one clue, but two about what was to come. The first one is the clue that we just looked at. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We know something is coming that will crush sin. And we know that that someone is Jesus. And then the second clue we have is right there at the end, as we kind of get near the end of our time, verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So we know that when sin entered in, shame entered in, and already we see God creating provision for Adam and Eve. And the only way, the way he does it is he takes a sacrifice. He sacrifices an animal to provide uh, a covering for Adam and for Eve. And this is the first place that we see death enter into the story. The death comes in that sacrifice that is made, that God makes, so that they might be covered. So already we're seeing that there is this these clues that we have that there will be blood that will be shed in order for sin to be forgiven. There will be sacrifice that is made. There will be wounding that will come. Remember that strike your heel. But in all in all, there will be victory. The serpent's head will be crushed. This will be undone. What has happened here can be undone. That's the the clues that we're getting so early in scripture. And truly, if we just wrapped up our lesson for today, I just want you to behold God's glory. Just Behold the truth that there is this beautiful cosmic reality that billions of people before you have believed in this Jesus, have heard this story, who's had their hearts quickened, the part of their mind that says, this actually makes sense. Like, I get that. I get that longing in my heart that like everything's not right with the world. I understand that this world was made for more than this. It, 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 that, that we weren't made for death. I get that. Like I, I, I feel the imprinting of God that called me to an eternal life, to an eternal glory. And then we say, oh, I get that. I get the, the curse of sin. I get that that's like part of our existence. I get that separation that happens between people and the division that happens in my heart between people I love and the division that happens on the cultural level and the community and, and the global level. I get that. Like we start to see with an unveiled face, we just contemplate God's glory. And then he leaves us these clues along the way to say, this is not the end of the story. This Genesis 1 through 3 could have been the end of the story, but God in his, in his mercy, God in his grace is already pointing us to a new covenant. He's showing us from beginning to end that this covenant of works will not work. This idea that God's going to enter in and we're going to be able to keep promises to God is not going to work. And and we're going to see that throughout this next series as we look at all of these leaders who kind of point us to the truth of Jesus. Grace has been there since the beginning. Grace has a name. 
it's Jesus. Jesus is his name, and he is present already as early as Genesis 1. We are just able now, from the position we are in eternity, in the world, in the timeline, we're able to see that's what God meant. So what does this mean for us? I wrote down three principles that we can pull from this passage. The first, God's redemptive plan has been ongoing since the beginning of humanity. Like this is not a new thing with Jesus. This is why the Old Testament matters. We don't just read the New Testament. We read the whole of scripture because God's redemptive plan has been ongoing. The second one that, oh, definitely challenges me, but I would encourage you again, sometimes we talk about principles like we're just holding them out like a theory. God is in control even when all seems lost. I mean, can you imagine this moment where everything must have felt lost? Um, Adam and Eve are losing their connection to God, this like intimate, close connection. When everything seems lost, God is still in control. And God has provided, this is the third one, God has provided a means to restored relationship. God is not only uh, calling us to love and grace, but he's actually going to provide the means for us to do so. He's going to say, I, I love you so much that I'm going to provide a way for us to be in restored relationship. He's been saying that since Adam and Eve, and he continues to say that to you and to me. So what does this mean for you? Here's a question I would have you consider. Do I ever feel like all hope is lost? If, is there a place in your life right now where you feel like all hope is lost? And if so, how can I move toward a posture of belief around redemption? Now, I'm not saying that God's going to resurrect every relationship and every hard thing in your life. I'm not saying that God's going to answer your prayers exactly as you've detailed them out. But I am saying that God is a God of redemption. And that sometimes in our lost hope, He restores hope that's truly in Him. Sometimes in lost relationships, he restores relationship that is truly in him. Even when all hope is lost, God is still moving. God is still redeeming, and God has not given up on you. All right, everyone. Our passage for next week will be Genesis 14 and 15. We're going to do those two over the next two weeks. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Gibbons and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. 
Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared to You podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared to Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.